0: Father, we thank you for this, we thank you for this day, we thank you for your word, we just pray that you open up our ears and eyes to it, let it speak to us from this reading and from Pastor Mike's sermon, in your name I pray, amen. Starting at verse 35, the resurrection body, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised, with what kind of body do they come you foolish person when you what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain but god gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body for not all flesh is the same But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There was one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven." and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, I'm wired now. You know, we uh, earlier sang this line, uh, with all creation I sing. Anybody been out in the creation this week and been, been singing with the creation? Uh, the flowers. Have you seen them, church? Say amen. Have you seen the flowers out there? This week I saw butterflies out there as I'm mountain biking through these trails. There's butterflies everywhere. flowers coming up a few of you live way up country it hasn't happened up there yet but here the flowers and with all of creation I sing the glory of God is is around us it is a wonderful time of year we are uh, on a journey through the book of first Corinthians for those of you uh, that are visiting today or haven't been with us and we are in chapter 15 what was just read and I want us to begin today with the very last sentence in this chapter of fifteen, The conclusion. Okay, so let's take a look at this very last sentence of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This massive long chapter on resurrection on the bodily resurrection of the dead. That is, the bodily resurrection of Christians at the end of time is mostly what this chapter is about. And then at the end of this chapter, there's this conclusion. And the last sentence of this conclusion is telling the the ancient Corinthian church and telling us to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. To paraphrase it, Paul concludes this chapter saying, I want you to be on mission, and you shouldn't be working and laboring in vain. I want you to be on mission, and the mission that Jesus has given to us as Christians and the church is to make disciples. So for those of you that weren't here two weeks ago or haven't been with us, there's a a refreshment here on what the problem is in the ancient Corinthian church, why they might think their labor, their risk-taking in making disciples might be in vain. And they are doubting something. Look, look with me. Let's look back at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So here's the problem. This is a little uh, grotesque maybe, right? But this is just the reality of the problem. Christians are dying. Christians' bodies decay This ancient church, the Corinthian church, they saw Jesus be resurrected and have this glorified body, and they're just not believing that this is going to happen to us. They are not believing in the future bodily resurrection of Christians. If we look at this stage as a timeline, something that's still yet future, it's out here. They're not believing that. They're not believing in this physical new heavens and new earth where you and I are going to exist That is, believers in Jesus Christ are going to exist forever and ever and ever. And because of that, we are to work with all that we have and be fully devoted to the mission of Jesus in this life. But because they're doubting that, they think their labor may be in vain. And so Paul is concluding this this lengthy chapter dealing with Jesus' resurrection and then the bodily resurrection of Christians, Basically saying, I want you to be on mission. I want you to be on mission. And at the outset of of the sermon today, I think you and I need to ask the same question. The same question, the same problem, maybe a different reason, but you and I struggle with being on mission. We get distracted in all kinds of different ways. The Corinthian church is being distracted because they're just not believing this is going to happen. How is this going to happen? This future new heavens and new earth with these glorified bodies where, where Jesus shows up in a room and, and He doesn't need to go through the doors and they're just not thinking this is going to happen. So at the outset of this message, I want to ask you, we, we, we have too many here for you to respond, right? But I want you to respond in your hearts. What keeps you from being fully devoted to the work of the Lord, to the mission? What keeps you from that? I'm preaching to myself this morning, too. I forget this is my mission, get focused on myself, my own comforts. There's a million things that keep me from this mission of being fully devoted to the Lord. We'll come back to us. Let's, let's, let's go back to this ancient church and the Corinthian problem. Verse 35, these questions are asked. How are the dead raised? We don't see how this is going to happen. With what kind of body will they come? We, we don't get this. Okay, I'm j- going to jump again to the conclusion. I told us back to 35. Let's go back to the conclusion then and then we'll come back to 35 again. Are you with me, church? Okay, here we go. I'm bouncing around. Um, so the very end let's look at verse 58 this conclusion therefore my dear brothers my dear sisters young and old all of those in christ in corinth and by extension all of you here at cornerstone through the living word of god stand firm so here's the first thing he's saying stand firm stand firm in the gospel stand firm in christ Stand firm in this doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus, which is the first fruit. He is the first fruits of this bodily resurrection that is still yet future from our day and was future in his day. Stand firm. So the conclusion of all of this doubting, the future bodily resurrection of Christians, there's there's three elements of this conclusion, and the first one is to stand firm. The the ESV says, be steadfast in the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and of the resurrection. Let's go back now to 15.1. This is how he begins in 15.1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. They were forgetting it. You and I forget it. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This is what they're steadfast on. This is what they're standing on. By this gospel, you are saved. Jump to verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. So whatever is keeping us from being on mission, whatever is keeping us from pouring ourselves into other people's lives to help them be disciples of Jesus, to help them become believers and then help them to grow up in the Lord, whatever is is keeping us from that, we need to pray that the Lord would help us to be steadfast. And so so I have a... Uh, uh, change these three things into verses, into prayers, if you will. It's good to take Scripture and ask God to help us pray the Scripture. So Lord, help me to stand on the Gospel. Help me to stand on Gospel themes. Help me to stand on the truth of the resurrection today. We need to remind ourselves and be centered on the Gospel and the reality of the resurrection. This is what Paul is saying when he says, stand firm. I skipped First Peter here. Let's look at this really briefly. Peter writes and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. What's going on in ancient Corinth is they are not thinking of themselves as aliens and strangers. They're thinking of this world as their home. And so they aren't applying themselves fully to the mission of making disciples. Because this this is home. There isn't going to be a physical reality in the new heavens and the new earth where we're going to be there forever and ever and ever. This isn't a reality to them. So they're not thinking like aliens and strangers. They They need to remind themselves of the gospel and be rooted in this, that we are aliens and strangers in this world so that they can be fully devoted. So the second thing, jump into the end now, verse 58. The first thing is be steadfast, stand stand firm the second thing is let nothing move you let nothing move you lord help me help me not to move from christ today help me not to move from these from the gospel from this reality that jesus died for my sins and rose again and living out the love themes of the gospel the forgiveness themes of the gospel the repentance themes of the gospel and wanting to take this gospel and display it and share it into other people's lives. Lord, help me not to move from that. I've been praying these things for myself. These, these, this conclusion of chapter 15. We could spend a lot of time talking about all of these details of the resurrection. And, and we have done that in, in two weeks ago and three weeks ago. So I want to focus today on the conclusion on what he wants us to do. To be fully devoted to the work of the Lord. So we have to daily remind ourselves of the gospel and whatever it is that's moving us. Again, I say this often. This is where preaching is getting hard. I don't know what's moving you away from the gospel, away from mission. What's moving them is they're just like, I, 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 I don't get it. We, we bury people. They disintegrate. I, I, I don't see that they're going to be coming back. I, I, I don't get this. That was their issue. You and I, we probably have other issues. So it's interesting how to respond to this issue, this issue of doubt, of being off mission for them because of a lack of belief in bodily resurrection of Christians. Look at Paul's response. Now we're going to go back to 36, okay? Paul's response to them. They asked the question, how is this going to happen? What is the body going to look like? Paul's response in verse 36, how foolish, how foolish for you to think that. Paul sees this future as a reality. It's foolish for you to think there's not going to be a new heavens and new earth and, and that you and I are going to have these incredible, awesome, glorified bodies living forever and ever. It's foolish for you not to think that. It's easy to think like them, isn't it? Isn't it, church? It's easy to think I, I'm not going to. Th- I'm not going to think much about the new heavens and the new earth. I'm not going to be thinking about this glorified body and forever and ever and living in the future. I got bills to pay and I got this thing to do and I got to go to work and I got all of this stuff. How can I be thinking about that? So how do we respond to this? Uh, Augustine uh, says this. He's sympathizing as he's preaching on this to his people back in the day. He says, people are amazed that God, who made all things from nothing, makes a heavenly body from human flesh. And when he says heavenly body, he's referring to the resurrected, glorified bodies of Christians in the future. People are amazed at this. People are amazed that God, who made all things from nothing, makes a heavenly body from human flesh. The Corinthians are amazed. They doubt it. They're not sure it's going to happen. So he makes this argument. Is he who is able to make you? When you did not exist, not able to make over what you were once were. This is an argument uh, from the greater to the lesser. He's able to speak the universe into existence. I think he can handle somehow recreating, resurrecting, glorifying you and me so that our souls and our bodies at some point in the future when Christ comes back are going to be reunited and we are going to have just an incredible, awesome, glorious existence. Augustine is is using this argument. Now it's very interesting, Paul doesn't use that argument. He doesn't use this argument. I like this argument, but it's not the argument that Paul uses. Look at the argument that Paul uses. I I love what he does. So he, he responds immediately, how foolish. And then he says, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's using agricultural or natural imagery from creation here. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. A seed is part of a tree or a plant. It's living, but it has to die. It gets separated from that plant or that tree. It falls to the ground and it comes to life. You see this happening. You and I see this. The Corinthians saw this. This is Paul's argument. Let's continue. So that's, that's verse thirty-seven. When you, uh, verse 36. How, how foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. So they're not on mission. Why aren't they on mission? They're not on mission because they're not really believing in this future eternity that's, that's real. And so Paul doesn't use the greater to the lesser uh, argument. He uses an argument from creation that's all around them. And he says, he says that God has given what this seed grows into. He has determined to each kind of seed. He gives it its own body. God is the one who did this. God is the one. We've all seen these things, right? I've got a new uh, new carport at our home. It's got an aluminum roof. Any of you have a metal roof or aluminum roof with oak trees above? Anybody? Yeah. It's like alarm clocks are going off constantly when I'm outside. You know what's going on? When these things fall, that time of the year, it's loud. These things fall. This is the argument Paul's using. Saying you're foolish. Do you know what happens? Do you know who designed this? Who made this seed that dies and falls off the tree? A hundred years later, you have this. You have this. Have you seen that? Scientists didn't do this. Can I get an amen on that? Scientists didn't do this. God did that. And how foolish you are to think that this is all there is and that there isn't this future over here where we're going to have glorified bodies forever and ever. So his conclusion for them and for us is to be on mission. Because you and I are going to be more glorious than a hundred year old Oak tree. I don't want to get too far astray here, but I did, did a little research on, on oak trees. <laughs> he mentions wheat, but he says, or something else, so I went to oak. Largest oak in North, North America, I, I was hoping it was in our, our neck of the woods, but it's in Southern California. Go figure. In North America, the largest oak tree is in Southern California in the San Bernardino Mountains. 12.2 feet God did that. And He is going to do something with the bodies of believers in the future. And we are going to live forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, the conclusion the conclusion of this doubting the bodily resurrection of Christians in the future is the last sentence. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So here we go. The, the last section of this sermon today is about you and I being on mission. And I want to say that I have seen American Christians laser-focused on mission. The mission of making disciples. Disciples. I have seen them. I have seen them. Just a reminder what our mission is. To go and make disciples of all nations. Or to be really precise there, all ethno-linguistic people groups. This isn't just for missionaries. This is for people across the street, across the pew, across the classroom, across the office at work, and around the world. We're called to make disciples of everyone. Everyone baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The mission that Jesus has given to the church is to get the very best preaching possible and the very best music so that all the other churches empty and they all come here. You guys have been part of churches like that? I've been part of churches like that. It's kind of exciting. But it is not the mission that Jesus has given us. The mission that he's given us is to make disciples. To go into dark places and to bring light. A disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and that belief is evidenced by baptism in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So a disciple is someone whose identity is in Jesus. Someone who's born again or saved or baptized or whatever language you want to use. A disciple is someone that obeys the Word of God, and someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a disciple is someone who makes disciples. Those are basically the three ingredients. Identity in Jesus, loving and obeying Jesus, and making other disciples. That's what a disciple is. And we're called to do that. Now, I have seen American Christians laser-focused on the mission. And you know when I've seen it? You saw the title. Did anyone pay attention to the title of the sermon? When, when have I seen it? During short-term mission trips. That's when I've seen American Christians laser-focused on a mission. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Been on a trip for a couple weeks or a month or whatever? I, I've been on several. They're awesome. I'm for them. So don't hear... kind This is kind of a both-and thing, Okay? I'm for short-term missions. I have incredible memories of being on short-term missions with some of you. One of them was uh, to Peru. I remember uh, years ago going there. We had to sign something that said, we give up our rights. We're going on this mission to make disciples through helping building and and doing prayer walks and sharing the gospel with people in, in Lima. And so we give up our rights to a good night's sleep. We give up our rights to comforts. We give up our rights to the foods that we want for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission. And, we, and, and what happens is you come together as a team. There's this community that's formed and we have a laser focus on the mission. It's awesome. And then we come home. We go to work, and we watch TV, and we read books, and we play golf, and we go mountain biking, and we do all kinds of things, but we kind of leave the mission back on the short-term trip that we were on. What Paul is saying at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 Is that you are on mission every single day? That God wants you and me to live with gospel intentionality in in the very places that you already are and go. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. Think of the oak tree. God did that. He's going to do that with humans. It is our, I don't know why he set it up this way, but it is our mission to take that good news to them so that they would be glorified one day and living forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. He's chosen to use us. American Christians, we need to understand that every day is a mission trip. And so, as I read the New Testament, Pastor Adam and I were talking about this last night, our vision or our, our, our mission, we don't have like a fancy vision or mission statement. It's, it's Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is our, is our vision statement for Cornerstone. We need to build communities like what happens on a short-term mission trip. Once you have over about 20 people in a church, you no longer have the ability because of your size to to have that kind of community. So we've got to break into smaller groups where we can get into each other's lives and love each other and be on mission together. I think us small groups isn't even the right word. We need need to have a a mission, small group community mentality, short-term mission mentality to the community that, that we're trying to trying to build in our in our small groups. So the, the third prayer here, I, it's good to pray scripture. Lord help me to stand on the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel and gospel themes as, as our lives get busy and full of stuff. Lord help me to move from Christ, not to move from Christ, from the gospel today. Lord help me to give myself fully to the mission today. This is what I've been praying in, in recent days. Tim Chester uh, writes, a church is not an event. It's a community. A church is a, a people. A people that has elders and, and deacons and, and the word is preached and the Lord's Supper is celebrated, but the church is a people. It's, it's a community. God has designed for us to be on mission in community We somehow achieve that on short-term mission trips, but we miss out on it in the everyday life of the church. So I want to have good preaching. I want to have good music, but that's not the mission that Jesus has given us, really. We're praying that this church would fill because you are taking the gospel to people and building up others to make disciples. It's not just evangelism, it's building others up in love and in holiness and obedience so that we are demonstrably, clearly gospel kind of people, aliens and strangers. So in our own small group, um, we had a tree go down at our house a few weeks ago, a month ago, three or four weeks ago, I'm bad with sequence. But, uh, two or three Sundays ago, it's raining really hard, and our small group, the guys in our small group, instead of uh, us meeting uh, in a living room and, and praying together and so on, we, we got together and they, they helped me clear brush and, and burn. We're doing life together. We're, we're called to love one another and be in community. And in my prayer, one of the things that's going on in my mind is these guys are helping me clean up my, my property. Is we're praying for our neighbors. And they see all these people flood to my house and for for a small group. And they see us, they they know that we've got a we've got a team of people here because we love each other, we help each other, we do stuff together. And I'm praying that they're gonna see that. They're gonna see this new command that Jesus has given to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That the world out there is going to see a bunch of these small communities where we love each other and they're like, you have friends like that? You got community like that? I want that. Where'd you get that? I already read the first part of 1 Peter 2. The second part here in green. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So... It's a, it's a long journey, but one of the ways we make disciples is by loving each other and serving each other. And people see this, this corporate love, this, this community love that we have, that we have on short-term mission trips, but we have a hard time achieving it day in and day out in the church. Our small group is, is uh, and all of our small groups, I'm meeting with our small group leaders and I, I mean, this sounds heretical, but I'm praying that we're going to be spending less time in circles with our Bibles and more times outside, showing love to those outside of the gospel and the kingdom of God. So our our small group is is wanting to do that. This is a difficult transition because we've we've unintentionally taught that you go to church, you go to Sunday school class or small group, and I'm, I'm done. I've, that this is what the Christian life is like. Christian life is actually a lot more like a short-term mission trip than it is like attending a weekly service, like you attend a movie, going to a Sunday school class like you might go to a lecture. The people of God were supposed to be a display people for the nations in the everyday stuff of life so that the nations might see and experience the goodness and glory of God And be drawn to him. The attraction was never merely an event, but the glory of God being displayed in the everyday life of God's people. Whatever it is a tree falls, somebody needs needs care, needs help. We go for them, we love them, we serve them. Church is not an event, it's a community. Mission is not an event, it's a lifestyle. So it is sometimes an event, so I'm disagreeing a little bit with that sentence. It's good for us to have short-term mission trips, but what's more important is that we day in and day out and week in and week out ask God, how are you going to help me to make disciples? I know this is my mission. So we're called to live ordinary life with gospel intentionality. I'm really proud um, of my nephew, who's a student, a believer in college. He's at the Maritime Academy in uh, bay area and he's coming to get some good food and and be in a home uh, with us for easter but he doesn't come alone he invites one of his friends unbelieving friend who he's also invited to church and has gone to church with him several times there in the bay area and so his friend uh mikhail came here international student he's from russia I won't share with you any of the communist and Russian jokes. We had a lot of communist and Russian jokes. We got to know this guy really well, and so we're just, like, joking like crazy. Well, I'll tell you one of them. So we collect all these Easter eggs, you know? Collect all the Easter eggs, and everybody's got, you know, somebody's got a huge load of Easter eggs. Uh, Yeah, we had, one of my 27-year-old nephews was on an Easter egg hunt at our house. Is that cool? And uh, Mikhail is a college student. So all these uh, teenagers, young people, the Easter egg hunt, we hide them all over the woods. And uh, so we collect all these different eggs, and somebody's got a bunch, and someone's got another. And, and one, of, one of my sons says, well, you know, the communists would dissolve, divide all of these eggs equally, and so we should spread these out and make sure everyone gets the same, same amount. All right, that wasn't that funny. <laughs> my point is, my nephew is on mission with Mikael, and he's brought him to our house. He came here on Easter Sunday. We're praying that he's going to be a disciple, of Jesus. I'm thinking about connecting him with some of the people that we know in Russian and Ukrainian community and Russian Ukrainian churches, down in in Sacramento. See, everyday stuff of life, being on mission. It's not a program. It's making disciples. Praying that Mikhail will be a disciple. We also had on Easter Sunday we praying for our neighbors. One of my neighbors, she lost her husband just a few months ago and she's been grieving intensely. She's been depressed, she's been discouraged. I've gone over to her house numerous times. As I go there, she she weeps. She's she's just struggling to make it each day. And so I've invited her to a variety of things and said, no, 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 no. But I invited her Easter to come. So she comes to our house. I'm praying that we're going to be on mission even on Easter Sunday afternoon we're going to be on mission praying that she comes. She comes. You know, she's, she's an older lady. I haven't seen her smile in a long time. She's out there in our woods, you know, hiding all these eggs. It's just a beautiful thing to see. But what's going to be more beautiful to see, I'm praying that the Lord Jesus would grab a hold of her, that she would be baptized, that she would one day have this resurrected, glorified body in the new heavens and the new earth, and she will be among the company of God's children. I don't know what's keeping you from having a short-term mission trip mentality where I've seen it in the American church, to have this in a daily sort of way, a weekly sort of way. I'm praying, I'm praying that we, Cornerstone, would give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together.